You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. For now, let's talk about the bond story because you are seeing a really massive historic moment here. City coming out this morning adding to the to the talk about 100 basis points in these next two weeks. Nomura coming out, of course, yesterday saying 100 is now their base case scenario. What does that mean for investing? Well, let's bring in Aaron Brown, the managing director and portfolio manager over at PIMCO, of course, to bring a talk about all things macro strategy and investing. Aaron, thank you, as always, for joining us. 100 basis points. How effective is that really relative to 75 basis points? Is there an element, perhaps, of almost panic that comes with the fact that the Federal Reserve may have to be that aggressive. You know, I think that just given the inflation environment that we're in right now, I don't think 100 basis points should be considered a panicked you know, raise. And in fact, if you look at what the fixed income pricing market is pricing in, they're pricing in about 92 basis points. So the fixed income market's already pretty much priced in. 100 basis point move at the July FOMC meeting, which is a little bit of a gift to the Fed because they're not going to surprise markets if they do, in fact, hike 100 basis points. I also think that the market right now is really focused on getting inflation down. So, well, you know, certainly in a normal environment, 100 basis points would be a shock to markets. Given the inflation environment we are in right now, I think that's taking precedence over the size of the move. Yeah. That said, you really have to think about whether or not it's going to be that effective, um, especially over the short run for managing inflation lower. Absolutely, especially um, if the problem is on the supply side. Um, there's not much the Fed can do. However, you make a good point. Everybody is freaking out about the possibility of 100 basis points. And even some of our writers this morning were calling it an historic rise. But the bottom line is, if you look back in history, the Fed has raised rates by 1% or more 38 times since 1970. So it's not as if it's a completely new move, right? I mean, we've seen Paul Volcker do it at 5% in one clip. 
Right, that's exactly right. So we have to put this in a longer-term context. Certainly over the last you know, couple of decades, we haven't seen moves in, in this size. But if you go back over a longer window, we have. And we've also been in an inflation environment that's also unprecedented. So I, I think that right now the main focus of the Fed is getting inflation lower and, and doing what it takes in order to manage that, that number you know, to something closer to where they're comfortable. Okay, but let me let me put a a counterpoint to Matt here. Yes, thirty eight times. A lot of them were throughout the eighties and, and the Volcker era. But isn't the that's cons- the last time we had inflation this high? Right, but is, also, isn't isn't the the fear here? It's not just the fact that Volcker hiked so aggressively; they basically forced the entire economy into recession. It's also the idea that inter- after this decade of the seventies of inflation, you have this mas- massive deflationary spiral. So, Aaron, I have to ask. Is that what we're in store for next? I think that what we're likely in store for next is not a deflationary spiral, but but going back to, and probably where the Fed's comfort is, is going back to a 2 to 3% or even 2 to 4% uh, band for inflation. Um, but I, I do think that there has been a fundamental shift over the last you know, couple of years where we're, we're likely not going back to the, the normal that we were in in the sort of pre-pandemic period, but probably a higher normal than what we've been in over the last 10 years with respect to inflation. And I think that that's okay for the Fed. I mean, if anything, they, they're managing to average inflation a little bit higher over the secular horizon. But, um, you know, going back to sort of a, a disinflationary or deflationary environment, I think is for, for at least over the, the medium term is off the table. Yeah, I, th- I don't think we're getting set up for another uh, 1980s. Well, if we are, sign me up, because that wasn't really a bad economic situation. In terms of what you're buying right now, um, where do you like where are the most where's the most opportunity on the curve Gary Schilling was in here the other day says he's going along 30 years that's no surprise yeah and I actually don't disagree with that I mean I, I think that there is fundamental demand um, for 30 years you know from pension funds and from insurance funds that look at the US relative to other markets uh, globally and find it attractive yield and I think buying the long end at this point also just in a longer term context makes a lot of sense with respect to the fact that you know 3% if you're guaranteed yield and return is pretty attractive in this environment it's going to be you're hard pressed to get that you know in risk assets right now i also think that muni's offer from a taxable basis offer really attractive returns as well so that's another sort of pocket of opportunity that investors should be looking at All right, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure having you on the program today. Aaron Brown there, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager at PIMCO. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY.
Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. stick with this market story here because stocks are just plummeting. It is not a pretty picture uh, in in the markets today. The S&P 500 down 2%. I wonder if we see a reversal, even though there is this really massive wall of worry. You got PPI prices that were at an 11 handle. Following the CPI report at 9%, you have recession odds, 100 basis point hikes that are now the base case for Nomura and Citi. And on top of that, you now have Jamie Dimon and James Gorman warning about recession. Remember, these were two of the people who were so confident in consumer strength. And now it kind of looks like they're saying, well, yeah, that whole recession scenario, there may be something to that. So how do you play the markets amid this wall of worry? We're going to ask Brett Ewing, the chief market strategist at First Franklin Financial Services. Brett, thank you as always for joining. Let's start there. A wall of worry. Do you hop into this market or not? Well, thanks for having me on. Um, look, uh, the times to get out there and start putting some capital to work are when times where you have peak worry, and we're certainly in those times um, where the economy is likely in a recession. Um, I think that the rate hikes are certainly getting baked in here for consecutive uh, 1%, probably another 50 to 75 in September. But the way we're looking at markets, um, the question is not when we go in recession, it's just how deep it's going to be. And we do believe that it will be uh, a fairly light recession, but we think that we are currently in one, if not soon. Uh, We were talking with Gary Schilling, who is granted um, a well-known bear, yesterday on the program, he says we're about halfway there in terms of the market drawdown, to use a term um, of our day. We've heard similar things from Michael Burry, who also is obviously known for his bearish calls. But what do you think about that? The fact that we've seen valuation compression in the first half, and now we're about to see the margin compressions. Yeah, I think uh, the question is, the, the real question is, does inflation keep accelerating? Um, I think that's going to force the hand. I think the Fed has already done their job. Uh, we're going to see a lot of demand destruction uh, in the second half of this year. Um, we're already seeing it across the board. The commodity markets are showing it. So, you know, I think have we hit a bottom in the market? I don't think that that's our primary issue here. I don't think it's got a massive leg down from here, I would say there, we could go another 5 to 10% right here, depending on the inflation numbers and how much more aggressive the Fed would need to get. But isn't there a, a bull case here for the stock market in that if there is a global recession, 
isn't the recessionary playbook, at least and I want to say in the past 20 years or so, to hop right back into American markets, you buy American, buy the dollar, buy U.S. Treasuries, buy uh, defensive stocks, big tech. I feel like there has to be a bull case here for in the worst scenario, fund flows from the rest of the world will rescue the stock market. Why aren't we seeing that? Well, I think I think the rest of the world is also having a, quite a bit of trouble here. Um, you know, our dollars just skyrocketing on the dollar index. And I think that the dollar index will be a big discussion in the Jackson Hole Conference coming up in late August. I'm sure that there's many central bankers from around the world that are going to probably uh, bend Chairman Powell's ear on that issue. Um, but I am in the bullish camp, just to be clear. I, I do believe um, in equities, and I think equities are absolutely the best asset class that you could be in right here. If you were putting capital to work and you had a three- to five-year time horizon, there's no better place to go right now. I think trying to bottom tick is just meaningless right here. I do believe that we are going to have these inflation numbers start falling off as we move into the fall. That's our base case. And you can look at every marketplace. I mean, look from the beginning of June. We've got gas down 22%, oil's down 20%, copper's down 30%, wheat's down 29%. I mean, everywhere across the board, I believe you're going to see rents roll over a little bit as we get into the fall because the VRBO uh, uh, scene is going to probably have a correction in rent prices there anywhere from 10 to 20%. I think the consumer's about to tighten up. And I think demand destruction, the Fed has already accomplished it. Yeah, it does look like um, as dangerous as it's been to call a peak in inflation, it does look like these numbers should be it because we do see ags rolling over. We do see metals coming down. We do see oils coming down. We've seen that for the last couple of weeks. So, And just to add to that, let's look at the labor market. I mean, there there's a lot, a high level of layoffs within the technology sector that are rolling through. My sources are telling me it's it's rolling through the I mean, you just had the financial some of the financial companies report this morning. Layoffs are coming throughout the financial services industry as well. And if you look at the jobless claims, the four week moving average mm. since the very first rate hike, it's up thirty eight percent already. Yeah. Um and this is gonna keep accelerating. And and that's what the Fed wanted to do is cool it off. They've, they've actually done, done their job but yep. there's no way they can actually stop right here with these high headline numbers. Got it. All right, Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Brett Ewing there, Chief Market Strategist at First Franklin Financial Services. Let's bring in Travis Hester right now. He's Chief Electric Vehicle Officer over at General Motors. And uh, this company, I think, has made probably the most impressive electric vehicle of all time in the GMC Hummer. Critty, do you know? What the Hummer can do? Tell me. We're talking about a thousand horsepower, ten thousand pound feet of torque. It can crab walk. Travis, oh thanks for joining us. Um, now, most of us probably can't afford a Hummer, or we'd have to stretch to get it. But um, are these things coming down to uh, price points that the average American can get into? Yeah. Hi, Matt. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having us on. Uh, yes, we, you know, us at General Motors, we're very much into EVs for everybody in our vehicles and in our charging network. And from a vehicle point of view, you're right, the Hummer is a fantastic vehicle. It can do 
crab walking, it can do, it has a what's to freedom mode, which is an acceleration mode, which is just fantastic. Um, but at our more affordable uh, end, you have um, sub $30,000 cars like the Bolt and the Bolt EUV, which um, are fantastic vehicles and are very affordable and have some of our latest technology, like take the Bolt EUV has the latest super cruise technology that's available um, and leads, you know, in almost any segment. So, yeah, we have we have price points and vehicles um, from low affordable uh, vehicles through to some more expensive vehicles and everything in between. I'm looking at Hannah Elliott right now. She's walking right outside the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio, and she just did an excellent piece on the Hummer that I'm sure you saw, uh, the cover cover piece for Bloomberg Pursuit. She's standing on the hood of the truck. Um on the other end of the spectrum, you're talking about the Bolt, right? I was lucky enough to drive around Detroit um, with Mark Royce in his Bolt. I think it was the first generation. And um, just the perfect vehicle for somebody on a budget who wants to get around without a big carbon footprint. Can you produce enough, though? I mean, I know there's a huge chip shortage right now that stranded some 95,000 vehicles, my Silverado truck included, on lots. So... What's the chip situation like? Yeah, there's no doubt with um, you know the global economy and COVID and lots of supply chain issues that there's been strain in the in the supply chain network. Um, but we're optimistic that we are you know, doing everything we can every day to um, produce as many vehicles that our customers desire. You know, we have a long waiting list because we have such great vehicles. But we do a lot to try and get them out. And, you know, the situation is continuing to improve. Uh, but, you know, it evolves every day. The, the, um, there is um, increased clarity coming every day and we're, we're getting better and faster every day. Um, uh, but, yeah, we're optimistic as we go forward, uh, Matt. Travis, I feel like everyone is getting into the EV game now. Naturally, you have Tesla, you got GM, you got Ford, you name it. Uh, everyone is hopping into this market. But I'm curious... Does the infrastructure really support it here when you don't actually have this network of charging stations, that kind of funding that I think a lot of people expected from the White House, from the government, from even states uh, like California, for example, who are very go green, that doesn't necessarily exist yet. So in your opinion, I guess my question is twofold. One, how is GM differentiated at all? And two, does it feel like the market is getting ahead of itself? Uh, thank you. That's a great question, uh, Creedy. And, uh, you know, we made our announcement yesterday of this coast-to-coast charging infrastructure network, which is very significant. Uh, you know, it's 2,000 charging stalls. It's 500 locations. They're, importantly, they're all 350-kilowatt uh, DC fast-charge stations, which allows you to put a lot of energy into the vehicle in a very short amount of time. They'll be co-branded Pilot Flying J and Ultium Charge 360. Uh, Ultium Charge 360 is GM's uh, network that aligns 11 different charge port operators and gives, you know, in this particular announcement yesterday, some very um, beneficial things to the GM customers who buy our vehicles. Things like exclusive reservations, discounts on charging, a really great um, technology called plug and charge, which means you don't need to use credit cards anymore. You just plug the, um, the charge port into the vehicle and the payment's taken care of. Uh, integration into the vehicle, um, what we call our MyBrand apps, which are the like the Chevrolet app or the, or the Cadillac app, 
and that helps you to get real-time charger availability. It does route planning. It allows you to make those coast-to-coast -coast, uh, trips. And so it's a very significant, um, uh, you know, north to south, east to west, city to city announcement. But as part of the GM Ultium Charge 360 network, we've previously announced a $750 million investment into that infrastructure. That includes 40,000 level two um, charges around dealer communities where we all live and work. Uh, it includes uh, 3,250 DC fast charges in the inner city environment, which we do with our you know, great partner EVGO. Um, so we, you know, it's a pretty comprehensive network that's being built out here. And you know, it's evolving at the same rate that EVs are coming to market. And you know, we, in this latest announcement we just made, we, we'll be getting that interstate freeway charger installed early here in 2023. Very cool. So we're moving pretty rapidly here. Very cool. Hey, Travis, tell us about you, uh, your job and, you know, how it's changed over the years at General Motors. I know you were the chief engineer for the Cadillac CT6 and you've held um, engineering positions with other on other ICE projects. Now you're um, now you're running the growth of the electric uh, op operations. What's the difference? Uh, yeah, so I've been with GM for almost 26 years now. Lots of it, Matt, as you said, I was a chief engineer on vehicles for a long time, um, which was great because we do just such great vehicles. But as things have evolved here, you know, our technology development on electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles is just surging at great rates. I've been involved with both of them on the product development side, but now I'm lucky enough to get the opportunity to help develop this on the infrastructure side and some of the energy management side. And this is a, a highly fast evolving area um, of uh, our industry. And, you know, the US has such a great infrastructure with its freeway and highway networks. It's time to get the electric vehicle infrastructure side of that up and running and I have a fabulous team of people who help do that and we have fabulous partners, people like Pilot Flying J and EVGO who help us um, get that up and running and they're going to be able to help us execute that. So it's it's a fairly, you know, it's our industry is evolving mm. and our, our roles are changing and it's exciting to be honest with you. It's yeah. I can't think of a more exciting time to be in our industry compared to the last a uh, hundred years. It's it's, yeah. it's fantastic. I gotta say, I I would agree. Late sixties, maybe late sixties. I'd be there, right, with the Camaro. But in any case, Travis, great to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us, Chief Electric Vehicle Officer for General Motors. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight: athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. 
I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. As we've been focused on today, more high, uh, well, high is an understatement, more massive inflation prints with the PPI coming out at 11.3. Yesterday, we had the CPI out at 9.1. Let's talk with someone who can maybe offer you a solution in terms of the right hedge. David Auerbach joins us right now, Managing Director from Armada ETF Advisors. And um, the cool thing is, David, with you and my co-anchor, Kriti Gupta, I can say, it's great to have y'all here. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> is. David uh, got his, uh, BA, his BA at uh, Texas. Did he? And his MBA at SMU. Well, the only reason he's telling me that is because, for your information, David, and for our entire audience, is uh, my brother actually went to SMU. I grew up near SMU. I'm a Dallas, uh, I'm a Dallas gal. So. I spent a few years hitting the bars around SMU. That's the same <laughs> thing as getting one of my an favorite places. Highland Park, one of my favorite places to hang out. Uh, let's get back to well, actually, it's it's really a a, a, res, a real real estate and p- partly residential story that you have for us, David. Right? Because you think this is a great way to hedge against inflation. Absolutely, and thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it and love the Dallas ties. That's so cool. You know, we take a very unique approach at Armada. When we launched the Home Appreciation U.S. REIT ETF uh, in March, we had this view that we're building our fund on two fund principles. Number one, where are people relocating across the country? And then which of the residential REIT segments are benefiting from that relocation? From where we sit, we know that real estate is personal. There's, if there's one thing that the three of us all have in common is that we're very fortunate enough to go to sleep with a roof over our head. Whether we live in an apartment, we rent a house, where we live is home, and that home is the most important investment decision that you make every single day. And as you mentioned about inflation, well, we know that interest rates are going up, 75 basis points, lock it in for sure, most likely 100 at this rate. But what that means is that cost of that mortgage now gets more expensive. You have to come more to the table with the down payment. And so that's going to affect many first-time home buyers and those that are probably in the market right now trying to buy that house. And for so many people, it's just been impossible, right? I mean, not only were they priced out of the market when mortgage rates were cheap, now they have no chance of getting in. I know a lot of people just anecdotally um, who can't buy a house. And I know people who can't sell a house because the buyers just can't afford it now. Is that going to change? You know, I, I would say in the back half of the year, we would see some moderation. But frankly, I also think part of it plays into that old number one rule of real estate, location, location, location. If you go talk to folks that are in Nashville or Charlotte or in Austin, you know, they may have a different perspective right now. Uh, my neighbor across the street sold his house within a week here in Dallas and almost got full offer on his property. And so, you know, I think there are pockets that you're still seeing massive, massive strength. But the bigger problem here is that we all know there is a massive supply-demand imbalance in the housing markets. There's just not enough housing inventory to satisfy the amount of demand that's out there. David, is that going to change? I want to bring up another Texan that we're going to have on a little bit later on the show. Danielle DiMartino Booth, um, whom you may know, uh, she advised the Fed and wrote a book called Fed Up. Uh, She she advised the Dallas Fed. 
she has said it's possible that we have a glut next year of housing and cars because so many people are trying to fill this void. What do you think about that possibility? You know, I, I don't know about that glut necessarily. Again, the part of the problem is that what I, I'm air quoting this, that affordable housing product, that starter house doesn't exist anymore for those first time home buyers. But in, instead, you're seeing this plethora of single family rental platforms from like Invitation Homes, American Homes for Rent. You know, there's a Tricon. There's a lot of single family rental properties that are out there. One other point, you know, employment growth is driving household formation. We know that the employment market is still strong with a three handle on the unemployment rate. As a result, again, with inflation going up, gas prices are up. And if you're an apartment landlord, you're still knocking on your tenant's door on the first of the month saying, where's my rent? Many of these apartment companies, as an example, are reporting, you know, double digit year over year NOI growth, rental growth strong quarterly sequential growth. We're going into the summer prime leasing season for these apartment guys that are, you know, 97, 98, 99% occupied. And so again, it plays back into that thesis of where you live is that most important investment decision that you make for yourself, for your family, and for your kids. David, we got about a minute here. This is a trend that's not going away anytime soon. Do you foresee any sort of pop of the housing bubble anytime in our near future? If, if there is going to be, I think a lot of it's going to be dictated on future increases of the interest rates. We know, obviously, this next one, is there going to be more down the road this year? Because that will play into the home price appreciation and the moderation of the housing market going forward. But again, with us focused on house, uh, our ETF here, HAUS, you know, we're just trying to take it on a quarter by quarter basis, taking the news that's coming at us from the government, Fannie Mae, Redfin, Zillow, Bloomberg, all the sources that are kind of telling us where the housing market is headed. And right now, I will tell you from where we sit, we really don't see that letting up until maybe, like I said, back half of this year, maybe into next year. All right, David, thanks so much for joining us. Great having you all on this morning. David Auerbach, Managing Director at Armada ETF Advisors, talking to us about um, possible inflation hedges. He would suggest uh, one, which is their home appreciation, U.S. REIT. The ticker is HOUSE. Spelled in German, H-A-U-S. And you can check it out on the Bloomberg, H-A-U-S, equity, D-E-S. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.